Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Next is now. Many lawmakers are concerned about the rise in the nation's debt and deficit spending. How's Utah doing, and how can we tell how we're doing when it comes to managing state spending and debt? Well, we have the solution. It's called the Office of the State Auditor, and State Auditor John Dougal recently repeat, uh, released the uh, auditor's uh, annual re- financial report of the long-term liabilities, and Auditor John Dougal joins us now to tell us a little bit about the auditor's office, what the report says, and what we should be looking for moving forward. Sir, thanks for joining us today. Boyd, it's great to be with you. Gee, it's a cheery day on your show today when we talk about international events. (laughs) It's always a cheery day because we know we're going to be all right because of communities like we have here in this state and auditors like we have that keep us financially sound. (laughs) Tell us us what happens in your your office for for our listeners who aren't quite sure, other than they know Frugal Dougal sounds like a perfect title uh, for an auditor. Uh, what is it that the auditor's office does for the state of Utah? Well, I appreciate that. First of all, I'll tell folks that my dad was Frugal Dougal long before I was ever born. <laughs> I'm the oldest of 11 kids, so Frugal is all I ever knew growing up. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, folks have called me that my whole life. But, yeah, let me let me tell folks. Uh, I, I describe my key tool in the auditor's office as a flashlight to shine a light where the public can't typically see so they can hold their government accountable. So let me walk through a couple of things, what that means in our office. First of all, we do audits of the financial statements for the state and public colleges and universities. So as a Y grad, I like to tease a little bit that the University of Utah might like to make themselves look a little better than they really are. The job of the auditors is to come through and look at their financial statements, issue an opinion, whether or not they fairly represent the financial position of that organization or any of those organizations that we audit. We also do what we call the federal funds compliance audit or the single audit. Uh, Historically, 20 to 30 percent of state expenditures are federal funds. And so we're looking to see whether those monies were spent in compliance with federal regulation. And we do that kind of audit on an annual basis. And one of the key challenges we've had in the last uh, couple of years is we're usually done with that single audit by the end of December. Well, two Christmases ago, they dropped the guidance for us on December 23rd at 4 p.m., literally gave us the guidance of how to do the audit after we would normally have the audit done. It was the same this last Christmas. They dropped it just shortly before Christmas. So this spring, we're going to be wrapping up our single audit. That pushes us and delays us in the year because we'd like to get that wrapped up um, before Christmas. We also uh, oversee about 1,000 local governments. So think cities, counties, school districts, so forth. Um, making sure they properly adopt their budgets. They properly submit their annual financial reports. We help train the CPA firms that audit many of those organizations. It's so the public can hold their government accountable. We have a hotline, hotline hotline.utah.gov, that folks can go to report waste, fraud, and abuse. Do you hear about, let's say, a government official stealing money? Oftentimes, it's my team that investigated that, and we work with uh, prosecutors to bring those folks to justice. 
And so that's kind of a quick litany of what we do in the office. We also have a lot of data analytics trying to help folks know where, where money goes in public education and other things like that. Yeah, I, I love that description of uh, have, having the flashlight. And I hope it's a I hope it's a big old flashlight, like a, a gazillion watt flashlight, because I do think that light uh, is the best disinfectant, especially in government. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, really looking at that waste, fraud and abuse, especially as those funds are coming in, whether those are federal funds or taxpayer funds to make sure those are used properly. And if we can just get a past that waste, fraud, and abuse, uh, I think that's one thing that gives citizens much more confidence uh, in the taxes they're paying or the the, the fees that they're paying, uh, knowing that it is actually going to get to what we say government is going to do with that. Uh, so give us a quick snapshot. Uh, you've wrapped up the uh, the report there. What does it tell us? So, so the annual financial statement report uh, for the state of Utah's fiscal year 2021, so ended June 30th, it basically reports you know what revenue came in what expenditures happened how much debt we took on and so forth all sorts of reporting it's it's hundreds of pages of exciting reading for the average citizen but i'll just highlight a couple things first of all we saw tax revenue grow about 20 percent year over year so going from about 9.2 billion to 10.9 billion dollars in tax revenue so a significant increase uh, which anecdotally we're hearing a lot of that, that states are flush with cash, whether it's from federal money coming down or from uh, rebounding in the uh, economy. And so we're seeing that when you see uh, operating grants and contributions, other things like that, transfers, we see those up uh, about 45%, so almost to $7 billion in terms of those grants, contributions. Some of that is money coming from the federal government. You can see expenditures increasing, for example, health and uh, environmental quality, we saw a significant increase there in terms of spending, which you would anticipate with the pandemic. When it came to higher ed, you also saw about a 20% increase in spending in higher ed. And so different things like that. When you look at the debt limits, currently our constitutional debt limit is $7.5 billion. When it comes to general obligation bonds, so these are typically uh, bonds that are taken out for road construction and building construction, we sit at about $2.4 billion, so about a third of that constitutional debt limit. But we also like to put out not just what that debt is, but we put in out a two-pager that lists all sorts of long-term liabilities, whether it's for governmental activities, business-type activities. So this is things like running the Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control and what we call component units, so things like colleges and universities. We, we report all those liabilities that debt and other commitments that are out there. So policymakers and the public at a glance can see kind of the state we're at and what kind of promises we have hanging out there. Uh, so important, uh, and especially those long-term components that uh, we often get fooled by that uh, that teaser rate or some of that federal money that uh, comes in and everybody wants to spend it different ways. And sometimes that's only one-time money and then suddenly we're, we're uh, stuck for something that's ongoing uh, that wasn't really factored in. Is that part of what you do in terms of looking at that audit and really making sure we're looking at all of the, the long-term debt? So, yeah, so we, we report all of those type of activities and things like that. Um, and one of the key things, and, and Boyd, I know you know this, but the greatest way to control the legislature is with debt. So, so past legislatures can't really control the future legislators except when they uh, take on debt 
And then what it does is it forces the future legislatures to service the debt. And so that is the greatest way that the past can obligate the future. And so from my perspective, we got to be really careful and cautious when it comes to debt. Sometimes, you know, we're a rapidly growing state. There's lots of demands for infrastructure and other things like that. But we need to be very judicious in how we take on the debt, when we take on the debt, and how we service that understanding the burden that it places on the future. Yeah, that burden on the future, uh, we often talk about that as the ultimate taxation without representation. Uh, some of those uh, some of those taxpayers haven't been born yet. Uh, some of them, their parents may not even have met yet. Uh, and so that long-term, and so so what is the, the long-term well, outlook? Where are and, we now? And and boy, I'm, I'm going to say, one of the things Utah does well is it does limit the time frame for that debt. So mm. for highways, we typically don't take on more than about 15 years in terms of that debt. In other states, they might do 30 to 40 years. Oh, wow. And so we do keep a very relatively short horizon when it comes to that highway debt. On building debt, usually it's about seven years. And so when we take on the debt, we, we're very cautious in terms of that time frame. So we're, that's one of the good things Utah does. And to one of the comments that you made earlier, uh, you talk about one-time money, one-time revenue paying ongoing activities. Utah does a really good job of recognizing that concept. Ongoing money to service ongoing expenditures, one-time revenue to service one-time activities. When I visit with folks in other states, these are concepts that they've never even thought about. And it's something that's just normal practice here in Utah. Uh, and we love that. We've been talking about some of the things that uh, Utah is doing right that should be celebrated and emulated elsewhere. Uh, and this is uh, one of those things to be sure. John Dougal's the auditor for the state of Utah, uh, doing a great job. New report out there. These are important things for all of us to understand and be aware of. This is what transparency looks like, shining a light to make sure no waste, no fraud, no abuse. Uh, and uh, Auditor Dougal, we appreciate you joining us today, giving us some perspective behind the scenes of what that looks like and why it's important to all of us every day. Thanks, Boyd. We're going to step aside for some bottom-of-the-hour news. When we come back, uh, the Democrats' voting rights bill, of course, got stalled in the United States Senate. But could there be an alternative? Is there a bipartisan way forward on voting reform? I think the answer is yes. Matt Germer from the R Street Institute is going to join us next to talk about that. Uh, This is an important, critical conversation because I think there's a lot of common ground when it comes to voter rights that we all can get to. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources after Bottom of the Hour News. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.